Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. This week's show, we're going to have a special guest, Jim Root, from one of my favorite podcasts, uh, Three Man Weave. He's going to join us. He's going to talk a lot of Florida, uh, a lot of Mike White. We're going to do a lot of SEC, which which kind of evolved organically and was was really fun. Um, And then we're going to talk about various coaches on the hot seat outside of Gainesville, Florida, Um, and, and whether we think... You know, the hot seat is really a place that, that they're at. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, as always, joins me. Uh, so we hope that you enjoy this show as much as we do. Jim is uh, absolutely one of the best basketball minds in the sport, and, and we're really glad that he came on. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Our guest this week is Jim Root from my favorite basketball podcast, Three Man Weave. Um, Eric, uh, thanks for for bringing Jim in to talk to us, and and I'll let uh, you know Eric introduce Jim. I know Eric's a big uh, Three Man Weave fan himself. Yeah, I truly am, and I mean you you beat me to it, but uh, you know Jim, this isn't just like gassing you up because you're a guest on our podcast uh, three man weave truly is my favorite college basketball podcast uh and one thing i love about it too it's kind of like it's like a little bit of like the hipster college basketball podcast because there's <laughs> definitely a lot of fans that are like have listened for a super long time and then you also will get shout outs from like norlander and and uh doster and mark titus loves to shout out so i love that it is like kind of like the hipster podcast that there's like some of the, the, the big names know, and they're like, Oh, I actually listened to this podcast called uh, three man weave. Uh, and then there's all, there's a lot of diehards that have been with you guys for, for a while. So thank you so much for being on. I, I appreciate all the kind words. Even if you are just gassing me up, that's okay with me. That's I am totally all right with that. That's what I'm here for. I, I appreciate it. I'm happy to join ready to talk some Florida hoops. Hey, and one thing, uh, uh, you, you definitely had a, um, you know, I don't want to speak for you, maybe a bit of a unfortunate luck in your life. Uh, uh, you, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but you are currently in Las Vegas and uh, you, yes. So you, uh, and you moved to uh, move there to cover college basketball this season in a season that uh, obviously didn't end up uh, tapping an NCAA tournament. So do you want to talk about, uh, talk about that move and, uh, and where you're at right now? Yeah. The, the background, we had started to kind of take off a little more. I mean, take off is very much a relative term, but uh, you know, people are starting to kind of follow us, respect our opinions a little bit. And we started to work with a gambler last year, a professional gambler. And so, you know, the, the covering it from a gambling lens kind of made sense. You know, we felt like if the audience for college basketball, which is relatively a niche sport, if it's going to grow, I think into like a wider demographic gambling might have a part of that. So Vegas made sense, came out here, got to be on VEASAN a couple times, Vegas stats and information network. That's, that's Brent Musburger's network. He has never introduced himself to me, which is you know, very rude, but, <laughs> uh, but it, it, it seemed like it was paying off. It was good to be out here. I was meeting people, but then obviously the NCAA tournament canceled. We're looking at a, possible in jeopardy 2020 21 seasons so i was like huh i picked the one season <laughs> where there was a pandemic to quit my accounting job and really go for this that's it's not great timing yeah i, I mean we're, we're laughing with you but i genuinely feel uh, just because <laughs> of the irony but uh, matt i definitely feel for you and uh, uh something i should have said on your introduction as well something i really appreciate about uh, about you as well as your partners on the podcast is like the, the fact that three man weave is definitely like 
a, a, a dual threat. The fact that there is also a lot of great written content on the website. Uh, so it's not just uh, one more plug for uh, for Three Man Weave. It's not just the podcast, which you should all subscribe to, but also a lot of written content. And uh, yeah, you guys definitely keep uh, keep it pumping out that way. But uh, uh, yeah, definitely definitely feeling for the one year that uh, that you happen to to move there. But I know when things go uh, get back to normal, you're uh, yeah, you guys are going to keep killing it. And and uh, yeah, I really hope the best for you personally. I appreciate it. Yeah, we have the really easy to find website of the word three dash man dash weave dot com. We really, really hit a winner with that one. We struck gold. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that Eric. I'm glad Eric brought that up though, because I do think that's, you know, I love the show. I I'm the guy that gets the notification when there's a new episode. So right. I love <laughs> still that. Get, still getting the, uh, the Apple podcast notification, by the way, I'm happy to report cause you know, I have a background in soccer journalism as well. And, and I'm happy to report that it, the two notifications that I still get from Apple are grant wall and three man. Weave. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. it's like, that's it. Um, but I love the, because I write about multiple college sports. Uh, I really think the written content is something that I really appreciate. And, and what I like is, is how much time and effort you guys obviously put in, you know, to, especially like the previews are, are some of the best things going. Like I actually was asked uh, a week ago, Hey, what's a really good college basketball preview? You know, I know I, I always access blue ribbon. That's what everybody always says. <laughs> this will say, Oh, blue ribbon. And I, I said, Oh, you need to look at the three men weave previews. I mean, they're, they're comprehensive. They dive into analytics. So we're not just blowing smoke here. We're, we're trying to get people that, that don't listen uh, to subscribe and, and to check you guys out. Cause it's uh it's phenomenal work. And, you know, Eric and I are doing a basketball podcast at a college football school in the sec. So yes. we are, we are big college basketball fans. We also both coach. Uh, so, so when we really like a show, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's something that we're gonna, gonna talk about. Yeah. I appreciate that. The, the writing is definitely like, we, we struggle to write concisely. I think that is something we have a problem with. So like <laughs> it always ends up being a long article whenever we start writing, but I will tease this as long as I'm on the Florida basketball hour, our, our top 40 countdown is going every day in exactly a week. August 13th, the Gators will be emerging in our top 40. So Ooh. they are they are in the in the countdown. I, I don't have the number. I think they're like right around 2020th-ish. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I'm going to start doing the math and counting down because I've been keeping up with the one per day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I've got I've got to ask you, uh, speaking about one of your quite expansive articles on the on the site and one that uh, one, one thing I also love about the, uh, the writing content is you guys have never been scared of going after and writing something that might have a little bit, and I think you might know what's coming. It was your famous coach rankings uh, article where you uh, you came up with a system to uh, to rank all the coaches in college basketball. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? And uh, uh, maybe you could even, I, not that you would remember where, where Mike White is. I, I remember the uh, approximate number, but just some things that went into your process of like, hey, how do you rank a college basketball coach? Yes, that was mostly Kai's brainchild, one of the one of the other guys at the site. And we the, the idea behind it was basically like, let's do this completely objectively. Like we have our own our biases, who guys that we think are underperforming or overperforming the talent that they have at their school. Let's try to find a way to, to measure this 
by some sort of mathematical because we're all accountants we're all you know matt's a consultant we we love something in a spreadsheet if we can get in a spreadsheet we love it and so kai approximated it with a, a raw performance element like just straight up how good are they which obviously is influenced by the school you're at a kentucky is almost always going to perform better than a western kentucky um there's a relative performance which with only 25 years of history is tough to do but Basically, like, what does a coach do at his school compared to other coaches at the same school? So in a Florida context, Mike White has a tough time because he's following Billy Donovan. If you're if you're following a legend, you end up drastically underrated, I think. Like Chris Mack got knocked because he's following Rick Pitino. Whoever follows Coach K will, without a doubt, get knocked in our rating system. So there's certainly flaws in it. Uh, but we just we we wanted to try to to get there get get some sort of website or uh, ranking system out there and clearly there are outliers and and we got some flack for them but it, it was just an interesting exercise to try to do it completely objectively without any sort of opinion into it. Yeah, I I really did think it was interesting and and I am someone who can kind of yeah put my emotional. Uh, ties to some of these coaches um, out, out out of the window, kind of uh, understanding the process you were you were going through to try to, like you said, objectively right objectively rank these coaches. So so I did just look it up because I knew White was uh, Mike White was somewhere in this range. So he came in at one thirty second, uh, just behind Joe Scott at Air Force, just ahead of Mark Prosser at Western Carolina, um, elite company. What can you say? <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, if there's ever a time to transition, uh, that that's something that uh, when we have guests on the podcast, particularly people who cover the uh the sport nationally uh we've kind of got to get a a feel for what uh what they feel about uh, about mike white what he's done how you kind of project him moving forward uh I, I, there's there's much more specific ways i could have asked that question but i kind of want to just open it up to you from from your out from outside looking in how do you feel about uh mike white's uh, tenure at florida so far i will give my opinion i'm going to need you guys to give a little back afterwards on on where florida fans specifically internally are at from my perspective, I I thought last year was just like a drastic underperformance. I mean, based especially based on preseason expectations, the talent that I thought the roster had, and they were they were frustrating to watch, particularly early on. And I remember watching I think the Towson game, the second game of the year, where they just couldn't get a bucket. It was it was just a grind. And after that, I I, I went back and pulled up a couple of the articles of White changing the offense basically like completely saying what I did in the offseason didn't work I need to fix this I need to add more structure which that to his credit that's good if you can admit that but if you have this this roster for four months in the offseason and after three games what you thought was going to work didn't then what were you thinking in the offseason like that doesn't speak well to your ability to look at what you have assess the talent of your team and put it onto a court so I was really frustrated by the offense. There's a specific quote I found of, I think the the Gators turned it over a bunch in transition early in the year. And my biggest gripe was always, let them run. I, I think this team is athletic enough. They've got a, a point guard with good vision. Scotty Lewis is one of the best athletes in the whole sport. I wanted to see him run. And his quote is like, we'd have the highest turnover rate in the country, or we'd lead the country in turnovers if we if we let them run. But by the end of the year, they ended up in the 91st percentile in transition for synergy. So I, I just, it almost felt like he bailed too early. Sample size was too small on it. And I would have liked to see a little more up-tempo. So I'm down on him in general, I think. Uh, I, I, initially at the higher, I thought it was good because he, he did well at 
Louisiana Tech. And pre-show, Neil, you mentioned the people he was in competition with, Archie Miller and Shaka Smart, neither of whom are blowing the doors off at their respective school either. So he's he's fine. He's much better than where he ended up in our coach rank, again, because of that that system issue I mentioned. But I, I, I'm kind of waiting to see if he can really turn up the Jets to like an elite squad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's a big year for him. Um, you know, so backing up, I, I there the thinking that Eric and I have, uh, and we talked about it with Rob last week, but some of it, I think you're looking at like conference only type basketball, or if they play non conference games, Jim, it's going to be like like you know, Utah state could go and play a team that they could drive to in two hours, assuming that their protocols are the same as the other programs protocols, right? Like nobody like Florida has UConn in Gainesville this year. That game's never going to (laughs) happen. It's it's unfortunate, you know, but it's, there's no chance, but maybe, Maybe because the ACC protocol will be similar to the to the SEC protocol, like Leonard Hamilton will get to, to father Mike White again. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I, I just remember the tweet of him with like he has a picture of Mike White like on his back, Leonard Hamilton yeah. like, carrying him around. Oh, it was great. <laughs> it was so unexpected from Leonard Hamilton, truthfully, and he deleted so it pretty. Character. He did delete it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he didn't have it up, and I was, you know, like obviously, I I, I hate to see it, <laughs> but at the same time, I like I love this. I, I like I I respect that, and I'm like, hey, if you uh, it, the moment of. Uh, yeah, the moment of like that he had to like, oh yes, I'm actually going to put this on Twitter is just amazing from Leonard Hamilton. Yeah. I wish coached a different team because uh, I, I I do really love the man, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> just wish that uh, yeah you know I love him a little bit more even too when when Florida can get a get a win or two. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, you know so so let's operating under that assumption. It's it's a big season for for Mike in Gainesville. I think. Um. I think some of the hot seat talk, I'll tell you from the insider view, uh, Scott Strickland, the, the athletic director, is a very big fan of Mike's. Um, and he kind of looks at it like, I've got this guy who just turned 43. And even if they you know, were disappointing last year, uh, they were probably better than most people gave them credit for the year before when they beat a Nevada team full of pros in the NCAA tournament with a bunch of freshmen. Um, They, you know, I've got this, he's never had a losing season ever. uh, Despite, you know, the, the team he inherited from Billy was a losing team. The Louisiana tech team that he inherited had won 10 games the year before he arrived. Uh, So he's, you know, he probably says, I just got to, be patient and let him grow. I think that the issue with that is that the fan base has now is that Florida went to five elite eights in the last decade. And some of the Florida fans in there's an entitlement to it, of course, but um, you know, they ask, is that the kind of program we are? Are we like on job training for the hot young coaching prospect? Uh, Because we have great facilities. Um, We have Florida, you know, Eric talks about it all the time is a terrific recruiting base. I mean, the high school talent is amazing. Um, you know, and Leonard looks like he could go run 
you know, the New York City Marathon tomorrow, but he's 71. So <laughs> that's not going to last forever in Tallahassee. And I think there's going to be some soul searching in Tallahassee. Maybe not akin to Billy leaving just because of accomplishments, but Leonard has put that program on the map from being like this afterthought that played in a city civic center. So, you know, that didn't even own their own building, rented it. Um, so I think, I think, you know, those things kind of inured to, to White's favor. At the same time, you know, Mike gave a press conference two weeks ago at, where he said, I got to get back to my DNA. And I think part of what this staff has done is kind of lost who they were at Louisiana Tech. And, you know, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head last year to look at that roster for that many months and think that you're going to play this sort of motion offense with Andrew Nimhard at point guard, who's not really a creator, but is maybe one of the best distributors in college basketball and Kerry Blackshear, who's kind of the perfect center for a Princeton style type offense. Speaking of Joe Scott, uh, you know, <laughs> like I just didn't get it. It was weird. Yeah. The, you mentioned something interesting about like losing losing their way, like who they are, because I think that's certainly something that happened to Shaka Smart at Texas to where when you get to that level and you're at a program that high, fans want to see recruiting wins almost as much as they want to see on-court wins. So like if there's a five-star plotting center that wants to play at Texas or Florida, this is more specific to Shaka's system at Texas. Yeah, right. He's got to take that guy. I mean, he's like four years in a row. He's had one and done caliber centers at that school with with uh, Bamba and Jared Allen and uh, Jackson Hayes. And, you know, those don't necessarily fit to what he might have played at VCU. But it's important to take that because fans want to see that. And if you're not able to play the same way that you're used to, like I Mike White played fast at Louisiana Tech, but his last two teams have been like bottom 30 in the country in terms of pace. Then maybe it's you're just not as good at coaching that style because you're not as familiar with it. So if you have to kind of cater to the recruiting aspect of it and take the players that are interested, the the elite guys, that that makes it harder. And I'm I'm a I grew up a Wisconsin fan. Bo Ryan didn't give a shit about recruit. Excuse me. <laughs> no, no, you're good. good. You're all good. Right. <laughs> he didn't care about recruiting rankings at all. He's like, I'm taking the big man that can shoot and the guard that's physical. And I don't care if they're three stars. Like he, he had kind of gotten to a level where people trusted him doing that. Like we didn't care about recruiting wins, but it takes a level or it takes time to get there. So with white, like he, he's almost out recruited himself. Like he brings in these stud five stars that, you know, might go straight to the NBA. Like, Scotty Lewis, I know he's back, but there there was thought that he could go one and done. And so the expectations just raise and raise and raise. And it, it's hard to deliver on that right away. That's I don't think he's a hot seat guy personally. I just think I was underwhelmed with versus expectations last year. If you're still making the tournament, it's hard to it's hard to fire the guy. Yeah, I think this podcast is definitely uh, firmly on the side of, no, we don't think that White's on the hot seat. And it's interesting that you did mention recruiting because uh, this is definitely something that's talked about in the NBA a little bit more than, or I should say professional sports versus college. But uh, you can either sell two things. You can either sell quality and production uh, or you can sell hope. And yeah, Florida hasn't had the uh, hasn't had the production and, and the quality necessary the last couple of years, uh, but they do have hope because because they're recruiting. Uh, not only and they the, the the way that they've been able to recruit in 
every single way you can recruit. I, the fact that they have high school recruits that uh, high level, high four star guys, five star guys. Uh, they've when they've wanted to go out and get a transfer, they they've gotten him. Uh, Anthony Derugi and Tyree Appleby coming in next year, who are two players I'm super excited about. Uh, even getting into the JUCO ranks with with Justin Leon, who is such a good team for two years uh, back in uh, in 2017 when they made the the Elite Eight run and uh, and they went into the the JUCO market this year. And uh, th- that's something that that you know, I definitely think is interesting too, is that, uh, you know, they went from being like, Hey, even, uh, you know, the staff said openly, they were looking at the recruiting rankings and recruiting to those numbers. And then now you've got in 2020, they take a junior college recruit who, you know, what is ranked as the best junior college recruit by, by some outlets. So, uh, I guess you could look at that ranking, but, uh, I think it shows that they're, they are targeting their style of guys versus like, Hey, uh, this guy's, a top 25 player or a five star or uh, something like that. So uh, th- this, this will be a really interesting year and, and uh, I, I'm personally pretty excited for it. Yeah. I, I, I think what, what Neil said about getting back to the, you know, his, his press conference about getting back to what he does, he's still got a roster for it. Like Appleby might be a little more of a, a faster open floor point guard than Nemhard was. He, he wasn't as speedy with the ball in his hands quite all the time. And he's still got the athleticism his bigs are really mobile. Omar Payne can get up and down the court, maybe a little more so than Blackshear could. And Keontae Johnson is like, you know, the the terror. I, I forget. I think LSU is like horrified of him. Will Wade's yeah, postgame he, press conference really are like, I hate when Keontae Johnson has to play against us because he just he's like ten for ten every game. <laughs> well, Will Will should maybe guard somebody, but well, <laughs> that's a whole another story. <laughs> <laughs> Save that for the LSU basketball hour. Yeah, yeah, they they won't like my uh, the way defense takes it all. <laughs> I'm sure they're very well aware of it, though. Oh, I, I imagine. I mean, so let me let me ask you this. This is an interesting. I think it's interesting. You might be like, "This is stupid." I shouldn't say this is interesting before. Oh, no, don't don't before. lead with that. Come on, it's the <laughs> most interesting thing. Come on. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's something that Eric and I, I. It might be like the coach speak <laughs> aspect of our show, but but. You know, I think the days of you mentioned Keontae Johnson, and one reason that he's so good is all the different positions that he can play and and switchability and you know the kind of things you talk about. And Mike's roster this year is kind of an ode to how like the days of of playing a point guard and and a couple big dudes and uh, you know two two wings are those are kind of over like. You want to have a team that's versatile stylistically, uh, and and to some extent, college basketball now, I mean, even Duke is like, let's put our best five on the floor and we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, are you seeing that at, at at elite programs, and is that changing the way people recruit? I think so. I, I maybe one of the the biggest examples of you mentioned Duke, but also Kansas. I think uh, over the last four or five years, Bill Self saw before that was always. I got my two bigs. I'm running high-low. We got yeah. a big man flashing, and he's going to try to dump it down to the other big man. And then he had this roster where he had one big guy, and Svi Mikhailuk was like the next tallest effective player. So he's like, all right, let's let's do this four-out thing. We're going to shoot a ton of threes. And it, it went pretty well for him. I mean, he hasn't won a national title doing that the, the same way he did with the the Chalmers and, and you know the two-big system he had before. But it's gone well. He's continued to to win games in the Big 12. Lost his streak, but still got right back out there uh, at the top this past season. 
so yeah, I think that flexibility to see what's coming with the style of the game. And then also there's an element too of the players, like a, a young 17 year old is like, well, I want to have guard skills despite being six, eight. So a lot of the guys come in with more versatility. I've, I've had that tug of war in my head of like, is it the game that's changing or is it the players that are changing the game to them? Uh, with, with white, I think he's done a pretty good job with this roster of guys that can play multiple positions with like, Johnson and Lewis are so interchangeable at three, four can guard multiple positions. Deruji seems like a guy that can do it as well. So you can play four around a big guy, but this team's also deep enough to where you can play more conventionally. And I think that's kind of a, a cool thing he's done with this roster of there are 12 guys here that could get on the court. So uh, another kind of style of play thing that I wanted to ask you about, uh, Neil referenced earlier uh, White's press conference just the other day. Uh, there's lots of super good stuff in it, so that's why we keep referencing it. Uh, and one of the things that he mentioned and talking about going back to his DNA was the fact that he openly said that he wanted to press this upcoming season. Um, obviously, he full court pressed all the time at Louisiana Tech. He is hardly pressed at his time in Florida. Uh, but he said openly, uh, which is something that we love about Mike White, is he is as open as any coach in the country uh, about everything. And he said, yeah, like we we want to we want to press and make things tough for teams 94 feet. So uh, which the way I kind of think uh, the first thought that came to my head was like, hey, can you do that at a good level at the high major level? Can you yeah. do that in the SEC? Uh, so something I definitely love, uh, Neil referenced earlier too, the uh, the amount of uh, conference previews you do at Three Man Weave. Uh, you're someone who is definitely not someone who just covers the the high major ranks. You cover college basketball on a whole, but, but specific to high major basketball, do you think pressing a lot can be a viable strategy? The only place that it's really consistently worked was when Press Virginia was in its prime with Bob Huggins. I guess uh, Rick Pitino did a pretty good job with it at Louisville, but there are a lot of guys that if that's what they thrive with, it's forcing turnovers at a lower level. It doesn't always translate moving up. So Shaka Smart's a big example. Brad Underwood had to completely change his defense this year at Illinois, and he went full pack line almost Virginia-esque, and that was finally what turned it around for them. So I, I think it needs to be done a little more selectively and you have to have the personnel. You can't just like decide to press. You have to recruit for it. And I, last year I thought they should have mixed it in a little more just because I think Lewis is like the perfect person to stick on the ball in the inbounder or at the top of like a three-quarter court, one three one, one two two. Jay Wright did that a bunch with Mikhail Bridges, just somebody that's lanky, yeah. has good instincts and, and is a good athlete that can recover back if they throw over the top. I, I think he's got some solid personnel for it, like not to where he's just doing it because he's like, oh, I used to press, I should do it. You've got to have the, the players for it in the high major level. Like Bob Huggins recruited to it like crazy. I'm going to get these MF or guards that are going to get up in your grill and, and press you for 94 feet. I don't, does, does it seem like he has that in the backcourt? I don't know if Mann and Locke and Appleby are those type of guys. So, uh, I, so it's funny you mentioned man. I, I referenced this co on the call with Rob, right, Eric? I got the uh, the Jay Billis thinks that that like the most impressive thing he saw from man last year was just growth defensively, and he was like, you know, speaking of getting your five best players on the court, like his big question was, can Appleby and Man coexist when they both need the ball to create offensively? And his thought was, you know, maybe they can if man 
impacts the game defensively the way he did in February and and I guess the two games they had in March. <laughs> that, that poor month, March. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, it's terrible. I, I you know, <laughs> and there's there's not enough uh, Ali uh, Farouk Manesh video for me to watch to, right. to recreate an NCAA tournament. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is funny because this is something that comes up. Uh, yeah, so I coach high school basketball, and this comes up all the time when I talk to high school coaches. And I think you really see it at, at all levels, too. I, I, teams look at their roster, and they say, like, wow, I've got this small forward who's super athletic and long. I've got this power forward who's super long and athletic. Uh, I've got a five-man, super athletic. Uh, we should be a pressing team. And it's great to have athleticism at those positions, but functionally, if you're going to full court press, it's not those guys who are going to have the biggest influence. It's your one and your two. Uh, like you referenced a little bit earlier, Jim, I mean, yeah, you you could certainly, if you're going to play a one three one, you can get some uh, one of those guys with a little more length at the the, the head of the spear there at the top. But, uh, but that's always interesting is like, hey, if you're three, four, fives are super athletic, uh, that's great. But functionally, if you're going to press a lot, you need your one and your two to be really athletic. Uh, does Florida have that? Uh, Tyree Appleby, definitely has the foot speed not super long uh noah lock uh decent nope. defender in my mind yeah, <laughs> i feel is higher on on Locke's defense than me i think he's a, a good defender but that's being a good defender in the half court uh, is a long ways from being uh, a guy you right. can play in the court uh yeah so i i think it's going to be up to like hey can can tyree appleby straight foot speed and, and just like quickness to to move side to side on the flight of the ball while the other team passes it around is that enough is is trey man who uh, uh the other thing jim is uh trey man rumored to be close to six foot six after being like six two and a half last year that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the hey, we're just just the messengers here uh but hey if he if he he brings that six foot six length, uh, and is playing at the that'll change things. Or hey, can you get lineups where Scotty Lewis is at the like? If you can get Trey Mann playing point guard minutes, uh, it's to be determined. And you get you know him at the one and Scotty Lewis at the two, Keontae Johnson at the three, Anthony Deruji at the four. Okay, like now now you're talking. But if your best five is Noah Locke at the two, uh, maybe that maybe that changes things. So that so that's just something I, I think about with Florida's roster is they definitely have some of the wings that you need, but, but I, I think to, to press effectively, it's really your ones and twos that are at the premium pressing positions. And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's really a lot on their shoulders. You almost have like pressing units then it's like, it, it, right. you know, uh, like a package and your, your three, four package, your nickel package in football. It's like, we're, we're bringing in the pressing group here. Let's, let's really try to, to change the game. <laughs> and you know, the offense sees that, but if you've got the right group, you can you can kind of wreak havoc a little bit, and you have depth at the guard spot. So if, you know you're like Appleby, I want you to go nuts for the next five minutes. You can bring man to point or bring in Quez Glover, and you know it's not too huge of a drop off. Yeah, I mean you know it's it's going to be a, a versatile group, and and I think uh, you know kind of transitioning that slightly that they're they're going to play in what I think will be a really good league. Conference only is super interesting to me in the SEC gym because, you know, you have Kentucky who usually gets the like Evansville type game to get out of their system before they have to <laughs> go play in the league. And like, we know that we're going to get the same John Calipari press conference no matter what, but like, it will kind of be funny if they draw like Alabama on opening night and just get their doors blown off. Like, <laughs> That press conference will be a little different when he's explaining why they're like 
backup Creighton point guard was not the guy. Yeah, they're zero and one in the SEC. Yeah, the <laughs> the draft deadline was great for the SEC in terms of competitive level. Like so many guys came back yeah. that were on the fence. I I thought for sure one of Joe or Petty would go, and there's two knockdown shooters that are going to be a headache to guard. And, and one of the things that was interesting with the SEC last year was there was like some sort of underperformance in the non-conference where even Ken Pomeroy admitted to us that every SEC team was kind of underrated because of the way they'd played in the non-conference. Like Kentucky was in the around 30th. Auburn was in the 30s. I don't think there was any SEC teams in the top 25. It was really this kind of odd year, and you had to know just the way the, the algorithm functioned that he, he was like, yeah, it just kind of they, – they, they look worse than they are at this point. Yeah, no, no Florida, yeah. Auburn, 29-32-33. So that's, those were the highest. Yeah. Ooh. With no non-conference this year, there's there's nothing to – that's not going to pull them down. But then, you know, there's no comparison. So even, you know, pretty much all those computer systems aren't going to work because they work on <laughs> mutual opponents and stuff, and that's, that's not going to be an option. So it will be very much about conference finish. And the SEC, I mean, the top – 11 or 12 are, are pretty competitive, you know, depending on how you feel about my Missouri Tigers, my alma mater, <laughs> which I don't know how I feel either. So uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of a lot of good teams and a couple great teams in the SEC. They're going to make it pretty difficult. How do you feel about Kwanzaa Martin? Poor, uh, not <laughs> not great. I, I remember before he came to Missouri, I would kind of enjoy like this is when we were just starting to get into our website and, and previewing and even a little bit of like gambling and be like, oh, I can bet against them because I know their offense is going to be mush. There's just no matter what talent he's got, the offense isn't going to do anything. <laughs> and then we and then we hired him. And I was like, well, he'll figure it out. You know, he'll, he'll get it. He knows what he's doing. He like talked a lot, a big game about running Villanova type spread offense stuff is like you can't do that unless you have shooters everywhere, which. We most of the time do not. Last year, I think we shot like around 30% from deep. So he, he does a good job defensively. The teams are always going to scrap. There's going to be some ugly games that we kind of pull out 58 to 56 or something like that. But the upside is is low because the, he, he's only going to win with talent offensively. And when the best talent he brings in breaks their back in the first game of the year. Every year. Then, yeah, then, you know, you're, you're destined to be this like, probably wrong side of the bubble squad that we've been uh, for his first couple of years. Yeah, I, I make a joke, but uh, the way that Missouri just uh, dominated Florida this last season. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're maybe not in a position, but uh, yeah, speaking of how they uh, didn't shoot the ball well until uh, until they played the Gators. But uh, oh, God, was it where they went like 30 for 30 from the free throw line? Was it that game? Was that against Florida? 60% from three point range. Oh, was that, okay. Yeah. <laughs> The complete outlier of the season. <laughs> oh, yeah, Mark it was, Smith going three for five. Oh. I, you know, the SEC, so like as much as we make fun of, of Muss at Arkansas, the, the SEC is a much more fun basketball league when like Arkansas and Missouri are good. Yeah, it's where we're fighting. Now that we're in the SEC, we should at least try to contribute some victories because the Kim Anderson era was dark times for pretty much everybody involved. But so you mentioned pre-show and now that you give Muss a lot of, a lot of guff. This is going to be a scary year for that because they, they have so much talent that he really could 
do something with it. And I know a lot of people that are very much into the high school rankings and stuff think basically everybody in their class is underrated. So the freshman, I think, could be really impactful. But he's got this weird problem where he's always had seven guys that play and now he's got 12 guys that are going to think they should play. And juggling that rotation is going to be odd. It's a weird blend of freshmen and transfers and grad transfers. And, and maybe people thought Joe is going to be gone, but he's back. So blending all that is going to be a unique challenge for him, something he hasn't done. Do you guys think he has it in him? I'll, I'll set you up. I'll tee you up for your for your uh, your muscleman rips of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, so so the origin of, of my muscleman uh, dislike was uh, I shouldn't say dislike, but it was when uh, when Florida went to go play Nevada and I just went into like super mode of, of watching like every one of their offensive possessions over and over and over running through games to try to see how Florida could stop them. And I was just like, wow, this is like more isolation from not great isolation players I've ever seen. And I started to like go back into his past seasons looking for like, Hey, like what kind of offense do they run? And I just like hours later just came up empty with my palms raised to the ceiling. So, uh, I, 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 so it was one of those things where like, Hey, when Florida played Nevada in the NCAA tournament, it was optimism was not high for Florida. Uh, and, and I was, certain and i and i wrote about this and i was like i am certain florida is gonna win like it was like a weird feeling that i don't and i'm never like that especially like <laughs> trying to be a, you know writing about the team i i i never want to like make such wild claims but i'm like man like the way that florida can is going to be able to guard in isolation like this is going to be no problem for them and uh the can game should have i, should can have I interject a story on that sure 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 we, I, I go to March or I go to Las Vegas every year, I guess now that I live here, but for March Madness, the first weekend, that's like our, our guys trip. We all get together and we do that. And we, we get a table at a bar for Thursday and Friday. And so we're watching that Nevada, Florida game beforehand. Everybody at the table bet on Nevada, except for myself and one of my buddies. And, and, you know, we're cheering against, and there's 12 guys that are just angry at us for cheering against the table. But I was like, they're not going to run anything. Like, they're getting mad that Nevada's not running good offense. I'm like, this shouldn't surprise you. Like, he's got pro-style positionless, but they're not going to well, run, like, a whole I, bunch of motion or anything to get guys open. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the spread in that game, roughly? Out of curiosity. I think Nevada was, like, minus five, four, oh, five, so. something like that. Yeah, so good good picking for you. But, but yeah, that that's really it. I just... Uh, I think part of it too is my slight dislike of like the coach buzzwords in college basketball. The like, we're going to play fast. Uh, you know, every coach, like if you ask coaches, like uh, every, every team <laughs> in the country is going to play fast. Um, that doesn't, um, uh, every team's going to shoot a lot of threes, which I, 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 again, as much as Arkansas has like that reputation, they weren't like, like, I think they were 130th or 140th in three-point attempts. So, so I mean, they, they get him up, but it's not, like, a crazy amount. And, and again, just, like, his his shtick, it just doesn't matter. Like, at some point, you've got to run an offense. That's kind of my, like, for all the, uh, uh, for all the, uh, yeah, just for all he talks about, like, hey, we're going to play this style, we're going to do this. Uh, I just see they're on the court product, and I'm just not, there's nothing that he does coaching-wise on uh, as an on-court product that I, that I think is that good, quite frankly. I don't think it's terrible. Um, I just, I just don't think it's, it's upper level. Like you could even say, like with that Nevada team, I made fun of it, but it was also like, hey, playing in their league, uh, sure, that's going to work. But I just didn't think it was high level basketball. So uh, yeah, yeah that's, that was, that was the root of my take of Musselman. 
he seems like a fun guy. Like the the pictures he takes with recruits, where they're like recreating <laughs> a moment. It's like I love that. Like I love the passion to like rip your shirt off after winning the Mountain West tournament as a as a as a head coach. Like it's it seems like a fun guy, and I think a lot of people gravitate to that. But when you drill down to what he's doing on the court, it's it's fairly vanilla and reliant on the talent of his players. And if you're not thoroughly outpacing your competition, like when you're in the SEC, then you're going to have some nights where it just doesn't look very good out there. Yeah, well, I mean, look, yo, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just like, well, yeah, like you said, Jim. Like, I, I'm also very tired of like, like the easiest thing you can do in basketball is run a pick and roll. Yet someone like runs a pick and roll, and it's just like, wow, an NBA style offense. <laughs> like, and people like are on, and I just, yeah, it's just stuff like that that I, I, I just get a little bit tired of. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I definitely, uh, definitely have some fun at, at Musselman's expense when things don't go well. But, uh, but like you mentioned, like with the, with the town he's got coming in, uh, it's going to really put my, my Musselman take to, uh, to the test here. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I share the concerns about, you know, how's he going to make rotations work? And I still don't know. Like I look at the guys they have and like, okay, I think Moses Moody is going to be, you know, like an all SEC defense type player, pretty quickly but you know are they going to defend better than they did uh they should rebound better which i guess could potentially you know having some threat of rim protection and and being able to prevent second chance points can make your defense look a lot better even if you're not per se defending better um so that that'll be interesting and then the other thing was like you know i don't so a lot of people said, oh, well, their, their offense is different because Mason Jones, you, you just run so much isolation with him like having the ball like all the time, right? And like, do you really think it's going to change a lot with, with Isaiah Joe and like an up transfer? Uh, what's his name? Jalen Tate, maybe? Uh, yeah, they got Tate from Northern Kentucky, J.D. Note from one of JD the Note a- a- Sun schools. Yeah. JD Note is awesome, by the way. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Jalen Tate. So, you know, we, I can't, it's Florida basketball, hour, so we're not allowed to knock all conference Horizon League guards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because we'd have to stare at the side of the camera for a while. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about? about what are they they're not going to run stuff but they might be like less isolation heavy if that's possible yeah because i mean it's they don't have the martin twins they don't have mason jones like you said so if he is going to just hand the ball to somebody and try to isolate it's not going to work as well like joe is a fantastic shooter but he is not a break you down one-on-one guy right and desi sills not really the same way tate can but I, it's hard to imagine him translating that up to the SEC. Yeah, if, if that's what he's going to do, the offense is going to struggle. I mean, K.K. Williams, I think, is probably the wild card, the the little freshman that apparently is a yeah. speed demon, like maybe the assist leader all time at Oak Hill, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, um, I, I'm that's I'm not positive on that. So, you know, no no one called me out that's listening, but <laughs> pe- people are a big fan of his and. It's just like how much is he going to play? Are you going to defer to some of the veterans and the guys that sat out last year? Because he had the presser last year where he talked about, I like having eight eligible guys because I don't even have to think about people being upset about <laughs> playing time. And now that is that's going to be a serious headache that he's going to have to really uh, deal with basically day to day. 
uh, yeah, to your point, though, Neil, if he's going to stick to the isolation stuff, it, it will drop off some. And on, on defense, if teams shoot 27% from three against them yeah, for the whole year again, that, that, that would shock me. As much as yeah. they have length and they, they get in your grill and make you uncomfortable, 27% still an outlier. Yeah, that's pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, we've kind of transformed this for the listeners. Ar- the Arkansas tra- basketball hour. <laughs> well, we've transformed it into like this weird SEC basketball show, which is fine. I, you know, I think our listeners appreciate that. And, and maybe at some point, Jim will, will reach out to us and thank us and be like, you know, we did these SEC shows and I was ready for them because I went on Florida basketball hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's this big debate about Rick Barnes and, and as you may know, Tennessee's fan base and Florida's fan base are not fond of one another. <laughs> and there is this strain of thinking that, that Rick Barnes was monumentally a better hire than Mike White. And, you know, Tennessee's so fortunate to have Rick Barnes and, and they're glad that Mike White turned them down. And it's interesting because, White has actually a, a minuscule but better winning percentage, has won more NCAA tournament games, and you know didn't lose in the second round with a bunch of pros, uh, <laughs> but but rather went to the Elite Eight with. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris Chioza is a pro. Okay, yeah, yes. he's in the bubble. Yeah. Oh, just he just beat the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> yeah. He really did. Um, so, so he be he went to the elite eight with Chris Chioza. Um, you know, talk to us about Tennessee and, and obviously, you know, I think that's the best starting five in the sec. There, there's, I don't even think it's really a hot take. Um, but, and, and obviously Rick has kind of blown the roof off the place recruiting, but he did that at Texas and all this is starting to look really familiar. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like if you really want the the Rick Barnes opinion, go ask Texas fans who ran <laughs> him out of town after. I, I think he was in. I, let me see if I can pull it up real quick here. He was in the top forty for like ten or twelve straight years at Texas. He had one year where he was ninety fourth, and then forty for in the top forty one for the other like fourteen years, and he still got run out because it, it's kind of goes back to the expectations point we talked about earlier, where when you recruit as well as that. People are going to want to see Elite Eights, Final Fours. It's threatened for a national title if you have that kind of talent. And this year he does. He he has the Springer and Johnson, the two uh, the two freshman stars. He brings back basically his whole team. So the expectations are going to be there. I'm I think probably one of them. And maybe this is me falling for the the trap of an SEC team that I think is a dark horse <laughs> title contender, as I did last year with Florida. But um, I, th- I think they're going to be really good, but compared yeah. to compared to Mike White, it's not like it's some big, you know, avalanche of a huge win for them to get Rick Barnes, who, you know, quite honestly, Mike White was successful at his previous job. Rick Barnes got fired or, or run out of town, which which does matter as a, as a school that hired Frank Haith and the Miami, Florida fans laughed at us <laughs> as we took him off their hands. So I know that 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 the old fan base kind of knows they they've been around him. They know his flaws and Tennessee could, could be very good. I like the talent, but yeah, he's, he's only made the final four once. I think it was that TJ Ford team made the second round with Kevin Durant, made the second round with 
Grant Williams, I guess they got to the Sweet 16 one year, but yeah, I mean that game against Purdue was was epic, and yes, you know, it's it's impossible to be like ah Rick Barnes lost. No, it's not what happened. Yeah, Ryan Klein <laughs> went supernova, and you know it's <laughs> right. tough to blame him for that. But if you have enough of those years where it's you know six teams that can't get over that hump, then then the questions start to come. So. For Tennessee fans to be like gloating about having a, you know, we're we're one upping you with Barnes over White. So, well, <laughs> wait till you prove it first. That's that's all I would say. Yeah, I, I, I've got to admit, uh, as much as I don't want to, uh, I, I have my reasons for disliking Rick Barnes. But uh, uh, on the court coaching, I, I I really love the stuff he runs. I genuinely think he's a fantastic basketball coach. Yeah, uh, he is a good coach. The. Uh, yeah, there's some stories of his antics that I've heard from uh, recruits and parents uh, have been have made me think less of him, uh, as well as some other things. But uh, but man, I, I do think he gets the most out of his guys. And uh, as the talent slowly or not slowly, it's really been accelerating as the talent continues to to get up there. Uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to be a problem. And uh, I, I've got to say too, one of my like guilty pleasure, huge fan players in the sec is santiago viscovi the the uruguayan uh, point guard or yeah uruguayan, just, if you watch who, like depending appeared, on your soccer he appeared street. out of thin air around the break last year I, I, <laughs> what it was ridiculous like we we're tracking rosters super closely for the the gambler we consulted for and we we're just like he's like hey i think tennessee has this like stud uruguayan kid I'm like where did he come from yeah <laughs> Played against uh, he played against Canada in like a U eighteen game a couple years ago or U seventeen and I it was one of those like just like weird middle of the summer I was streaming it at five a.m. just because I was like hey Canada basketball I crave basketball and, and he was fantastic and then I still remember that first game I think it was against LSU and he had like nine turnovers but yes. also hit like five threes and I was like this is amazing. Like, and I just love watching it because he's definitely one of those, like he might turn, like he literally might turn the ball over 10 times and he might hit 10 threes. And uh, <laughs> I love the way he passes the ball. And I, uh, I love the way he plays defense. He's got that. Uh, he plays it like that. Yeah. That kind of international style of basketball where they don't sit down in a stance and try to slide their feet laterally. They kind of play run and recover. Like they stand straight up. They'll give you that initial drive and then they'll, uh, uh, and then they'll chase you. And it's, it's a style of basketball you see internationally, but you definitely don't see it in, in college very often. Uh, and as someone who loves international basketball, I love to see it. So uh, yeah, he's, he's someone I love. Uh, I, I am, I, I truly scared about the talents in, in Tennessee. And I am uh, sad to admit that I am actually a fan of, of Rick Barnes on the coach coaching. I, I, I do think he runs great stuff. Oh, you're allowed to say that on a Florida podcast. Oh, we, we, we both we both are like, uh, yeah, no, we're we're both big like flex offense believers too. <laughs> I I played in the swing my whole life, and I yeah. won a high school state championship running the swing. I watched Bo Ryan run the swing, so I'm just like, yes, flex cuts, down screens. Let's yeah, man, let's do it. <laughs> no, it's it's a fun way to play, and I mean. I can't imagine being a college basketball fan and not liking that team that lost to Purdue. Like they were so fun to watch to me, like the hardcore Florida fans will share this uh, brief aside that their favorite Florida team as great as Joe Kim and Al Horford. And you know, that starting five was to watch and really their six man, Chris Richard was, was marvelous too. But um, you know, the last final four team, with Scotty Wilbekin and Patrick Young, like it was impossible not to watch that team. And if you like college basketball and just be like, this is amazing. Yeah. I, 
Patrick Young was just always like this guy that I put on a pedestal because of how huge he was. So he was fun to watch just because it's like, is he playing the right sport? And he, he, you know, throw up a half hook that might rock it off the backboard a couple times. But it was still an entertaining guy to watch. Who else was on that team? I'm not pulling it off the top of my head. So they had three star, three star Casey Prather, who was a great example of Billy Donovan being like, I don't care that he has three stars. Uh, I, I, I know that he can drive to the basket whenever he wants. And if I can just get him to believe that, because I do, <laughs> he'll be an all-SEC player. And, and he was. I and, just pulled up the roster. I forgot about Casey Hill. What a name that is. Yeah. Oh. Casey, <laughs> Casey Hill had uh, – so there's two players in the history of the NCAA tournament that have had um, 12 assists as a freshman point guard in a Sweet 16 game. Uh, and the answer to that trivia question is Magic Johnson and Casey Hill. <laughs> wow. What a stat. That is a great fact. Yeah, I, just, so. I just remember there always being such like a will he live up to the five star potential for like every, nope. all four seasons of his career. Yeah, <laughs> but he'll always have the duel in the sun against Ryan Anderson. So. <laughs> Man, that's fantastic. And, uh, and hey, that team had one of my all time favorite Gators and uh, sixth man who would have thought he would have been the best pro Dorian Finney-Smith, who's also doing work in the bubble right now, spacing the floor for Luca and, uh, and <laughs> checking LeBron and those big wings in the in the West. So, uh, yeah, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, like, again, you look at that team and you see that guy coming off the bench. It's like, man, uh, that was a squad. I loved it. Yeah. I wow. It. I can't believe he was the sixth man for that team. I mean, they lost three games, two of them to Shabazz Napier, who traveled and <laughs> Oh, oh, and one question. of Wisconsin. Yeah, I was gonna ask Jim. It's like, hey, do you remember Wisconsin? Uh, yeah, probably. I re- like, I remember Chris Chiosa to... breaking my heart. That's the... oh. <laughs> hey, Scott, Scotty Wilbekin and Dorian Finney-Smith DNP in that game. I do not remember what uh, what happened to them, but that was so probably Ben Breast was just uh, running all over Scotty, the floor without Scotty was puffing Scotty the magic Wilbekin. dragon, but <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, he he enjoyed Gainesville uh, nightlife in addition to to being the SEC player of the year. Look, if you're a college athlete, (laughs) enjoy being a college athlete responsibly, but that's there's there are perks of that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but they uh, they were. Yeah, they lost three games. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so let's 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 shift to uh, to hot seats since we started out talking whether or not Mike White was was on the hot seat. We kind of in the Florida fan base, you know, there certainly are people that think that that he is. I don't think Scott Strickland, barring a disaster, would make a change uh, this year. But but you mentioned Shaka Smart. Where is he in terms of of hot seat at Texas? I think there was some thought that he was going to be gone at the end of this year, this, this past year, but they surged late. They, they kind of got back into the NCAA tournament picture with a couple wins. They won five of their last six and may or may not have been on the right side of the bubble, but I think it was enough to give a little confidence. He brings back everybody gets a five-star recruiting Greg Brown. So they, this is the year. I mean, this is kind of like the, the expectations are high for him. I think a lot of places will have them in their top 15-ish or so. He's num- their number two at BartTorvik.com, I believe, in this preseason, Ooh. which obviously went well for Florida, who I think was their number preseason number one there last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is as make or break a year as it gets. Like if you don't even make the Sweet 16 with this team or, or you know, you're flirting with the bubble again, I, I think he's probably 
on the way out. And people were talking about Beeline as a potential successor there just because Luke Yaklich had already been down there as defensive guy, but it didn't didn't come to fruition. So he's got this, you know, prove it or lose it year, I think, in Austin. Uh, I I have one quick Greg Brown story. I, I think he's a fantastic player. And uh, he was someone who the Gators were recruiting and I interviewed him uh, for Gator Country. And I remember I asked him one of those kind of like cookie cutter questions that I normally get a cookie cutter answer from recruits. And uh, I was like, at the time he was kind of in the mix for the number one spot. He definitely fell a little bit, but still a high ranked player. But he was like ranked third in some rankings, ranked fifth. He so he had dabbled in the, the number one spot. And I asked him, I was like, hey, so, you know, do uh, do recruiting rankings matter? or do you know does that stuff is that just noise to you and doesn't matter he's like yeah it totally matters he's like when i play he's like when i play, and then he told me he's like yeah when i play someone who a recruiting analyst ranks ahead of me i text them and say you better watch this game and i just like loved it because it showed his competitiveness and also just showed him because i feel like so many players do care but they never want to admit it and he's like yeah i i care if i'm not being ranked number one, and I'm going to make sure people that don't make me rank me number one see me playing against the players that are higher. So, so as that was the moment. I'm like, I love this guy. And we we I, live I, for I, those I, raw answers like that. That's <laughs> yeah, great. We do. Oh, yeah. We do. Uh, I'll say next next hot seat guy. Um. Well, let's just stick with dudes that Florida was that the Mike White Hive says Florida should have hired instead, uh, and go and go Archie Miller. This should have had my colleague Matt is an Indiana grad, so he's he's more the <laughs> yeah. expert on this. I think he's probably in okay shape. They they I think they would have been a tournament team this year. What he's done that I think is huge is recruited in state really well. Indiana wants they want walls around their state. They don't want Kyle Guy going to Virginia. They want <laughs> they want their best players to play at Indiana. And he got Romeo Langford. Uh, the the top two or three candidates for Mr. Basketball this year, are, they're all outside the top 100, but they're all going to Indiana. And I think next year they've already got like the best Indiana players already committed there. So that, I think, gives him a little more of a leash. And he started to win more. He just hasn't really had any shooting, which has made them kind of rough on the eyes and, and I think has exacerbated fans' concerns with being bubbly in his first couple of seasons. But... I think he's probably okay, and they've got a team that shapes up to be top 30-ish this year, and I, I think he'll probably he'll be fine. I think he's not as, as worrisome as Shaka. Eric? Uh, yeah, he's someone who's uh, – his demeanor I don't think helps him. Uh, in, in The way he handled some, some losses, uh, I could see why uh, – I could see why some people could getting be getting a little bit tired of him, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, tough tough state to recruit. It's one of the ones where everyone's coming to to kind of get your guys and try to poach them. And uh, and hey, he's had success. And and like Jim referenced earlier, it's uh, uh, recruiting wins are are big in the eyes of boosters. They're big in the eyes of athletic directors, and they're big in the eyes of fans. And and he's he's getting it done there. And uh, uh, he's another one. Is I, I guess it's. He's one of those ones too that you, if there wasn't a pandemic and a shortened season, and that makes the next season weird. I feel like maybe people would be a little bit more aggressive on the on the hot seat talk. Yeah. But he's one of those guys that I think is not bad enough that even 
the, even some people who think he's on the hot seat, I don't. Uh, I think a lot of them would be like, oh, okay, well, let's like not actually fire him. We just want him to know he's on the hot seat because, yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, because it, 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 like, in, in uncertain times like this for like, hey, what coach can you go get who's on the market? I, I think it's been kind of interesting to see some fan bases who are like, Oh, like he should be on the hot seat. But if you really said like, hey, gun to your head, you want this guy fired right now? And you had the ability to do so. I feel like a lot of people be like, uh, no, I actually feel comfortable with what we've got. Let's they all think they all think they'd get Billy Donovan if they fired him. That's <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anybody that that is a blue blood or believes in their hearts that they still are a blue blood, um, Indiana, um, they they, you know, Billy's Billy's coming. And I, I'll say this. I don't really think his seat's that hot because. Tom Crean got a long time there, and and Archie Miller's start is is comparatively favorable. So yeah. I got, you know, I don't, I know that there's been a leadership change in the athletic department, but I can't imagine that the way he's recruiting, that uh, barring some sort of disaster, that anything would happen. And uh, let's do Tom Crean real quick. If you, here's my take, because uh, because we dislike Crean even more than Muss. Um, <laughs> If you cannot win at Indiana with all those resources, why would Georgia pay you $11 billion to be their coach? And be some point, if you can't win with Anthony Edwards. Yeah. I, Crean has always been kind of a, it's felt like a roll the balls out guy in offense, which is overly <laughs> simplifying it. But you never looked at their offense and felt great about it unless they had legitimate NBA talent like Old Depot and Zeller. And even then... Yeah. He got stumped by the two-three zone in the Sweet 16, and I know Matt is very bitter. My my colleague, my Indiana <laughs> colleague Matt, is hates talking about that game. But I, he he's I guess he brings some excitement to Georgia, like definitely a football school, a basketball program that has not had the success that somebody like Florida uh, has had. So there's a there's a recognizable name there. He recruits well enough that hey, maybe he can get enough talent here. People come to the arena to watch Anthony Edwards at minimum. Yeah. I, I think he'll he'll get a few more years because he is recruiting well. I, I don't think he's like close to the hot seat currently at all. But I don't I don't have any expectation that he'll get that program to like a consistent top twenty five school. I, I don't think he'll get there. Well, and just another guy too that I feel like if if it gets to be the case like that for a couple of years, uh, he's another guy who I think the way he deals with media and just. It, it, it's gonna. He's not gonna have as long of a leash as some some other people. Just the way he talks and and the way uh, uh, the way he he doesn't endear himself to to all people. That that's for sure. And uh, I think that's uh, that's the difference between some coaches that uh, in mediocrity can be a little safer. Crean, uh, uh, it's uh, as as losses pile up, more cringy Crean takes will will come. <laughs> for sure. All right, let's do a couple more, and then we'll we'll let you run, Jim. Um... Chris I'm not Howard. going anywhere. I'm going to be sitting in the same seat, so don't worry. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want you to feel like uh, we no. were too long. Um, so, I think after they they won that weird NCAA tournament game against Vanderbilt, a lot of people thought that Northwestern, like, why can't they win? Because it's it's in Chicago. <laughs> it's such a good school. The amount and of now, billboards you see there that say Chicago's Big Ten team, I tell you, they're <laughs> everywhere. Right, like, come on, it's Chris Collins. What's going on with that? He, I, I kind of ripped on Crean's offenses a little bit, but they, they just are lost on the offensive end. Uh, they, it was all ball screen stuff with Bryant McIntosh, and that got them to the tournament one year. 
and they brought back everybody. And so people just they're like, oh, well, you bring everybody back, you get better. It's automatic. It's a linear relationship. People threw them in the top 25 and they got worse. Uh, people kind of figured them out a little bit. I think they had some chemistry stuff. I think I remember reading that like Scotty Lindsay and Vic Law weren't happy with each other. But it, that team just, it, they leave you feeling cold when you watch them. They, he, he's passionate, but the, the, the stuff on the court, the X's and O's stuff doesn't come out looking very, very good. And he's actually recruited kind of well for Northwestern. He's gotten some fringe top 100 guys, a bunch of four stars in his last two or three classes. And last year, I mean, they were abominable. Eight and 23 overall. Yeah. The, the Big Ten was really good, so that's that's tough. But you can't lose at home to Merrimack, who's in their first year of Division One basketball. Uh, I would say he is, he's got to be feeling the heat. I don't know what their administration is like, if the AD that hired him is still there. But uh, to me, from an, from an external point of view, I, he's got to be on the hot seat. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I just always wonder, like, like obviously Illinois is looking super good going into next year. Another team that Florida w- was going to play and uh, <laughs> uh, likely will not. But uh, uh, but for a couple of years there, like uh, a few years ago, it just seemed like who's getting all these good Chicago kids? Because obviously a great place for for high school basketball and uh, these Illinois schools just were not doing super good, except for Loyola Chicago at the time, <laughs> the one year. But uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. So it's 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 interesting to note that uh, that he was that, he, you know, recruiting better than you think. Uh, because uh, I was uh, I wasn't aware that he was recruiting as well as he was just based off what I saw on the court. So maybe he was getting more of these Chicago guys than I thought because I was always wondering. I'm like, you know, you think Illinois would be getting more guys? You think that Northwestern? Well, I, I really actually thought it was Illinois who should have been getting the guys. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's <laughs> interesting to see that he has been recruiting well, uh, better than you think, but hasn't been able to put together uh, put it together as well as you hoped. Yeah, they're, they're not all Chicago guys. Like he got. Pete Nance's son, or sorry, Larry Nance's son. P- Pete Nance is, was supposed to be like a, a big difference maker, but it's just a whole lot of inefficient offense. And, and part of the, uh, we, it's kind of been a recurring theme, but if you do well recruiting, people expect you to win. So they're like, oh, we've gotten these high-ranked three-stars, four-star guys. We should be floating with the tournament. And when the result is instead 15 games under 500, then that that really starts to to get under people's skin. So um, let's let's stick in the general area of the Midwest to shift conferences and, and talk Steve Prom at a program that I think should be better than they are. Uh, you know what? It seems like like I thought the 13 win season in 2018 was an aberration, but then they were terrible last year. Yeah, and a little bit of that was Halliburton getting hurt, but they were bad before that. Like right. you can't put it all on that. They were they were under 500 before he went down, and this this one kind of hurts me because I've gone back to Hoiberg. I loved watching those teams play. They they he he found skill to play like the the Niang, Melvin Edgem teams. There's shooting all over the court. They ran up and down. They, they never fouled and they never got fouled. So it was just a continuous flow of a game. So it was very aesthetically pleasing. But Prom, it, it seemed like he was going to keep it rolling. But he's run into some hiccups the last few years. Some decent recruiting wins. But like Taylor Horton Tucker was not expected to be one and done. And he went pro. So you lose some talent like that. And he just hasn't really been able to recover. I, I, Halliburton, I think, was even top 100-ish. But not a guy you'd think would be two and done. So he just hasn't been able to replenish the cupboard, and they haven't they haven't really guarded anybody for the years that they've been down. 
Well, I, I do like uh, that he's getting into some Hoiberg-esque uh, transfer recruiting. Because, yes. uh, I, I mean, I, I love Tyler Harris. I thought Tyler Harris, little point guard from Memphis, was just so much fun to watch. Uh, Blake Hinson, a guy who, yeah, just a just a grinder in the SEC. And I mean that in the, the positive sense. I mean that as a, as a compliment. And, and Jalen Coleman-Lands was a guy that a lot of people, I know we're pending waivers on a couple of those guys and like which who knows what that'll be like uh but it's really interesting and they've also uh he's another guy who's recruited well and uh, some of you may you probably maybe don't know jim is that like iowa state is like recruiting the identical list of 2020 players to florida um or 2020 and 2021 they just beat florida for for a point guard uh, that we really wanted here on the show. Uh, Neil, I don't know if you know, you've seen this, but they're also now heavily after Carter Witt, even though they already took a point yeah. guard that we wanted. Uh, is that the and, Milwaukee and, kid that they got? The Iowa State? He yeah. Tyrese oh, yeah. Hunter, I think that is. Yeah, yeah. Wisconsin kid. There you go. And Wisconsin. I'm from, I'm, yeah, I'm from Milwaukee. Yeah. Wisconsin. I remember seeing the high school. as like Racine St. Catharines or something. I was like, I know that school. All right. Oh, yeah. No, he's, yeah. Uh, he's good. We, we loved him. And uh Anyways, uh, Dudley Blackwell too. Dudley Blackwell. So, so yeah, a, a little bit annoying to me that uh, this this <laughs> you know school in high was uh, competing with Florida and uh, is so far. Uh, I, I'll say two. I, I I mean we can argue whether Florida would have taken Dudley Blackwell for sure, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. But uh, I yes, think he's they would have. Well. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and yeah, the uh, the the uh, yeah, but I but I see the transfers he's bringing in. If they're if they're eligible next year, I, I think they're going to be back to uh, back to a high level. That's a competitive Big 12, so it, it could be tough. The top four is really, really good, and then Texas, as we mentioned, is loaded with talent. So it'll be tough for him, but I, I think he's kind of on, on prove-it grounds as well. All right, last two, uh, Blue Bloods that, that think they're still Blue Bloods, um, both Blue Bloods that think they're still Blue Bloods. Should we go out west, or do you want to go Big East? Uh, I think I know who they each are. <laughs> let's, say, let's save the out west one for last just because I have a story. All right, so Patrick Ewing. Patrick Ewing. I, it, this one, it seems like it's going to be a really tough guy to fire just because of you know, <laughs> the, how beloved he is with the fan base. And he, he's like tied to Georgetown basketball history so so intricately. But last year was kind of supposed to be a big year for them. And the team imploded completely. Like chemistry went nuts. The, Akinjo and, McC- and McClung didn't get along. Now they're both gone. They had some off the court stuff with uh, there's another I what's I think uh, LeBlanc is now at LSU, uh, another guy from from that storied or supposed to be a, a great junior class for them. I, I don't think he's quite hot seat just because of who he is and he's still doing okay on their recruiting trail. But I know they're frustrated with what he puts on the court and some of the decisions that he makes with with lineups and with defensive style. So. There's frustration, but I, I think he's probably not quite to hot seat level. What do you think, Eric? <laughs> well, uh, just as you mentioned that, you know, Patrick Ewing's a tough guy to fire. Uh, I also <laughs> thought John Thompson was going to be a tough guy for yeah. them to fire in, uh, at Georgetown. So I don't know. They seem to be ready to just write a wedding there. <laughs> Beloved figures <laughs> in, at any point. So, so I, I, again, he's, he's one of those guys that, uh, yeah, which is, just seems to be the common trend of everyone we're talking about. They're, they're recruiting well enough to – so that you think they're safe but uh i just wonder like again if, if some ad's are like hey are our guys recruiting enough to keep him safe and then he like looks around at like all these guys that we've talked about and all these guys are recruiting well enough to like kind of be safe maybe maybe they're like hey that that just shouldn't be enough yes yes agreed the uh 
it gets back to the the point you made, Eric. You can sell hope or you can sell uh, productivity. Recruiting, <laughs> recruiting, recruiting is the NBA version of hope or the college basketball version of of hope. Yes. Um. So so the last spot is is where I bury myself, and this is I do this. I love doing this at the end of shows because nobody's listening anyway. Um. But <laughs> Sean Miller, uh, at Arizona. So he's kind of staved off the FBI executioner. Um, <laughs> but like, does anybody notice that the product on the floor is like not very good? I mean, we so confession, Eric and I weren't nuts on uh, Nico Mannion to begin with. Like we kind of thought, okay, like not the greatest, thought of maybe a little overrated and, and kind of proved to be. Uh, but like they should be better than they are. And this year a little bit like Mike white, actually, they, they should be more versatile. Um, I don't know how, speaking of James Akinjo, like how he's going to integrate into that group. Uh, I think you guys wrote about that at three man weave. Um, you know, like that's a big question I have for them. I think the ceiling is pretty high, but, but like, I kind of feel like it's low key, a really big year for Sean Miller. I, I I'll start by saying I'm breathing a sigh of relief because I think I, I thought you had mentioned Enfield might get discussed here and <laughs> we have already gotten on the wrong side of USC's athletic department apparently. <laughs> oh, I previews. love that story from you. You have to tell that story on because no, it's tell the Dunk on, City story if you have one. Oh, I, I oh. love I love the story. It's Dunk not a City Dunk West. City. This is uh yeah. Kai <laughs> went to go when he had a work trip out in LA and he applied for credentials at USC and. The uh, who the media communications guy like looked at our website, saw our USC preview, and we were critical of Andy Enfield's success relative to the talent he's gotten. And so the guy just said no, basically. But we knew we had, through a connection, we knew a guy in the team, and and were very aware that they had space, even though the guy said they were out of media space. And Kai went to the game anyway and saw the empty media table. It was just like, so I it, it it's just the. Uh, the the system of like say something nice and we'll let you in. You can't you can't be critical and that I was always that wow. bothered us about Enfield. But that, that was soft too because I I had not read it. Then you then you told the story on the podcast. So then I'm like I got to read this. I I got to uh-huh. read this article. It's like how like how bad was it? And the answer to that is not that bad. That fair fair criticism. So I just that that's so soft by USC. And uh, anyways, I'm glad that I'm glad that story made it onto the podcast, even though we're not uh, not discussing his hot seat. But yeah, oh, the only hot seat is, is apparently the media hot the, the media seat there. At yeah. USC, but. <laughs> Sorry, I'll, I'll circle back to Sean Miller. I apologize, Neil, for derailing us. But <laughs> no, well, I kind of appreciate the way you just derailed my hot take that Sean no, Miller no, might get I, 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 I think it's worth discussing just because. Somebody sent me a message late in the season last year that said their their chemistry was all weird, and Sean Miller never addressed the crowd on senior night, which is really weird. Like, right. you think you'd want to say like thanks to the seniors, goodbye to these guys, <laughs> and it, it seemed like it turned into a little bit of my turn, your turn. I'm trying to prove to the scouts between Mannion and Green, and their best player was really Najee, the the big man freshman, yeah. had to go get the ball by himself on the offensive glass most of the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, just he he had that run of elite eights two straight years where they ran into Wisconsin and couldn't make the final four. And they've tailed off a little since then. And now with I mean the FBI stuff still hanging, there's a potential, you know, punishment they could get, at least from the NCAA at this point. That wouldn't go well. And this team is 
it's this weird blend of transfers and very international. I think they have <laughs> guys from six or seven different countries. And in, in an offseason where you can't get a lot of guys together, that seems like it's going to be super right. difficult to get people on the same page. So if I'm not going to quite call him like could get fired hot seat, but if this year doesn't go well, which is entirely a possibility because of things I just mentioned, then you start to think about it and you just, you have the question with the same as Indiana is like, all right, who can we bring in? That's better. Mm-hmm. And maybe for Arizona fans, they don't care. It's just like somebody, somebody Billy else. That's, that's all I want. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Billy Donovan. <laughs> Yeah, the the United Nations Wildcats will be very interesting because, yeah, I I just love it's like, hey, FBI clouds hanging over. Like, let's go to places where they might not watch ESPN regularly to see if they haven't heard of it. But uh, but they they, they have one. They have I totally forget his name, but he's from Lithuania and uh, he just absolutely torched the uh, the Euro under 19s. Uh, that I was watching, and uh, it was one of those things where you're like, it was also funny too because sometimes you watch international basketball for like under 18 events, and you see a player just torching everyone, and he's like Lithuanian, so you kind of assume that it's like, oh, he's like under the radar, no one's heard of him. And then I went and saw that he was ranked like 45th on 24/7, so he wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't the regular like hidden gem uh, Eastern <laughs> European guy, uh, but he's legit good. So, so as much as I, I joke about the. Uh, all these international players. I think they have one from like Estonia or something and like a mess. Yeah, some from Latin America. And uh, yeah, I, I have the list here. It's We've got two from Lithuania, one Turkey, one Estonia, one France, one Mexico. So that's uh, an eccentric mix. It wasn't, it wasn't, you were just mad. It wasn't Igor Kulichov at the PK 80, Eric. No. <laughs> getting, getting Steve Kerr to tweet about him. <laughs> yeah. Who's that oh, I Russian love, I guy? I love Igor. I love that guy. He got to make like 31 foot threes and, and Mike White would be like, whatever, it's a good shot for Igor. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jim, Jim, Jim Root, where can people, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Tell them about the website again. Yeah. The website is three dash man dash weave.com. The word three spelled out. We are rolling out previews day by day, our top 40, and then we'll do uh, every conference. So every team will get a preview, all 357 this year. Uh, but that's kind of like our, our bread and butter. We pride ourselves on the previews. So check those out if those are of interest to you. We're also on Twitter at 3MW underscore CBB. That's three men weave college basketball. I swear it makes sense. Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the group. And then I'm the worst Twitter handle in the world at second chance points. That's two ND chance points. I've almost like settled into it as as like I can't change it now. It's it's too much of a, yeah. a bit to have it. So it just is what it is. Yeah, mostly college basketball thoughts, but I'll I'll you know give some NBA thoughts. I'm a Bucks fan, so I'll I'll tweet about that every once in a while. Um, but yeah, check us out. We we'd appreciate any any interest that comes comes out of this. Well, thank you so much for uh, for the time. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, we, we kept you uh, for much longer than we, uh, we said you we would. So thanks for thanks for staying the line. This was great. I told you, I told you up front, Eric. I was like, I got nowhere <laughs> to be. I'm, I'm ready to rock. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. It's good to talk college basketball with, uh, with you and everybody. Listen to uh, Three Man Weave. Thanks. <laughs>